It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Tonight on The Readout. We're coming in like white on rice for Pelosi, Nadler, (laughs) Schumer, even you, AOC. We're coming to take you out. We'll pull you out by your hairs. The toxic stench of political violence that we experienced here in America, now also being felt by our friends in Japan, as that country's longest serving prime minister is assassinated. Also tonight, the January 6th committee finally hears from the man who had a front row seat to Trump's effort to steal the election. And the man who actually won that election, Joe Biden, is using the power of his presidency to help women get access to the health care they need as Republicans race to ban abortion. We begin tonight with the horrific political assassination of Japan's longest serving prime minister, Shinzo Abe. The horrifying scene was caught live on tape, and I do need to warn you, the images are truly disturbing. Abe's death was, has profoundly shocked a country where gun crime is extremely rare. On Japanese social media, the hashtag we want democracy, not violence was trending throughout the day. Their calls come at a time when democracy around the globe is hanging by a threat. We saw as much here in the U.S. last January 6th when a mob of insurrectionists besieged the Capitol, attempting to physically overturn a free and fair election with acts of physical violence and guttural chants calling for the assassination of Vice President Pence. Next week, the select committee investigating the January 6th attacks will outline how that violence was aided and abetted by far-right extremist groups, including the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. Today, one of the people most involved, Stuart Rhodes, the Oath Keepers leader, informed the committee that he wants to testify, but only in a live setting with his lawyer present. Video released by the committee showed Rhodes meeting with Enrique Tarrio, leader of the Proud Boys, an FBI, a group that the FBI informant, that an FBI informant says would have killed Pence if they'd caught him that day. Both Rhodes and Tario are currently in jail, awaiting trial on charges of seditious conspiracy. Moments ago, the Washington Post reported that Donald Trump is considering sending a letter to Stephen Bannon saying that he is waiving his dubious claims of executive privilege, potentially clearing the way for a staunch ally to appear before the committee, which he has complained is devoid of any hardcore supporters. How interesting. All of this comes as Pat Cipollone, Trump's former White House counsel, sat before the committee today for more than seven hours. A source familiar with that interview told NBC News that Cipollone has been a cooperative witness within the parameters of his desire to protect executive privilege for the Office of General Counsel. But make no mistake, Cipollone is no hero, and he should receive zero plaudits for finally dragging himself before the committee. I mean, it basically took a 25-year-old staffer's public testimony plus a subpoena to compel this 56-year-old to speak. Unfortunately, Cipollone's track record of placing country before Trump has been lackluster, to say the least. 
In case it has fallen into the memory hole for you, as it had for me, Cipollone defended Trump during his first impeachment for his previous attempt to undermine democracy. And here's what Cipollone had the audacity to say. Pretty galling in hindsight. They're asking you to tear up all of the ballots across this country on your own initiative. Take that decision away from the American people. So I ask you to defend our Constitution, to defend fundamental fairness, to defend basic due process rights, but most importantly, most importantly, to respect and defend the sacred right of every American to vote and to choose their president. May irony rest in peace. Okay, well, here is why all of this matters. It matters because democracy is literally at stake. Free and fair elections are at stake. Because if you think January 6th was the end of the line for the full frontal assault on our democracy, then you, unfortunately, are sadly mistaken. Just take a look for a moment at Arizona. In March, the Republican-controlled legislature passed a law that requires people who use a federal form to register to vote to provide additional proof of citizenship. I guess who voted for that? None other than Rusty Bowers, Arizona's Republican House Speaker, the man who appeared before the select committee because he refused Trump's demands to overturn Biden's victory in Arizona. This man literally rejected claims from Rudy Giuliani that millions of undocumented immigrants had committed voter fraud. And yet, despite rejecting that claim as unfounded, he still voted for a law that essentially uses the exact same logic to make voting harder. Republicans knowingly passed the law, even though it contradicts a federal law and a previous Supreme Court decision. I wonder if that has anything to do with our newly minted radical Supreme Court majority, stare decisis being dead and all. Anywho, on Wednesday, the Department of Justice sued Arizona for their brazen disregard for law and precedent. Sadly, Arizona is just one of the wave of states that have, since January 6th, passed onerous voting laws based on the same big lie about voter fraud that drove Trump's legal challenges to the 2020 presidential election. And if you needed any further proof of just how bad things are going, earlier today, the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled that ballot boxes are not allowed in the state and that a voter cannot have someone else return in person their completed absentee ballot on their behalf. I mean, when you peel back the layers, defending democracy is not a one-off. It's a daily act of total defense. And the Republican Party, writ large, have yet to show that they are on the right side of that fight. And joining me now is Glenn Kirshner, former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst, and Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large for The Bulwark. Now, thank you both for being here. I want to go back, and I want to start with with, um, Pat Cipollone. Uh, Let's go back to that. Uh, Because, you know, this is the man who starkly defended Trump on the basis, irony being dead, Um, please don't overturn the votes of 72 million Americans by throwing Trump out of office by impeaching him. He's going to testify. So that's a good thing. How ironic is it, Charlie, for you that they're doing that? And at the same time, Republicans are trying to use that exact same logic to overturn the next election. Well, I think the key point is that uh, this attack on democracy is not an historical fact. It is ongoing. And I think what you're seeing, the way the Republican Party has internalized the the notion of the big lie, and therefore you're seeing this movement to make it harder to vote over and over and over again. So, you know, I mean, the Pat Cipollone testimony is, is really a big deal. It would have been better had he spoken out earlier. It would have been better if all of these White House aides had come out during the second Im- impeachment. Um, but 
my my guess is there's not a lot of joy in Mar-a-Lago tonight, knowing that uh, his uh, his legal counsel, the man who was literally in the room when he was plotting the insurrection and the coup, um, is is in fact now testifying under oath. But but what you're seeing in Arizona and Wisconsin is is just a naked attempt to make it more difficult to vote. And in the case of Wisconsin, obviously, they're going to be use this uh, this decision to try to cast some uh, completely bogus doubt on the outcome of the 2020 election here. Yeah, of course. And I mean, what do you make of, really quick to say with you, Charlie, the idea that Trump now wants, would like to see Bannon testify? I mean, what's not been part of these hearings are the shenanigans uh, in previous hearings when Republicans like Jim Jordan can scream at people. Trump wants somebody screaming on his behalf, I guess, from the witness desk. I mean, how would that even, how would that, in your view, impact the way these hearings are actually going? Oh, I don't think it's going to impact it significantly at all. I mean, it, it's clearly a win for the committee that uh, that Bannon uh, has decided that he rather would, you know, on second thought, would rather not uh, face trial, would rather not go to prison. But on the other hand, what is Bannon best known for? It's, you know, flooding the zone with crap, right? That's the, I'm guessing, would be his goal is to throw out as much stuff as he possibly could. But so... No, this may be a distraction, but you know, keeping the eye on the ball, this committee has done a remarkable job. There is no longer any mystery about what happened. Um, they have gotten uh, dozens of witnesses on the record, many of them from the Trump administration, many of them Republicans. We know what Donald Trump did. We know what he did not do. Now the biggest question is whether he's going to be held accountable. And things like, you know, Steve Bannon, throwing, you know, feces up against the wall uh, is really not going to change the outcome of this in any uh, in, in any appreciable way. Yeah. And any more than Trump throwing his food at the wall did. Um, let's go to you on this, right. Glenn, because Stuart Rhodes is, is an important person to, to, to hear coming. Just a couple of things that we have here. So prosecutors have already alleged that uh, Stuart Rhodes held a call with a stack member. People don't do protests in a stack on January 6th. Around 2.32 p.m., Rhodes exchanged a 97-second call with stack member and Oath Keepers leader Kelly Meggs as he, Jessica Watkins, and the rest of the stack embedded themselves at Eastside Capitol, at an Eastside Capitol, at Eastside Capitol building doors. Their text messages that show that an unidentified person wrote about protecting Ronnie Jackson, about providing physical protection to uh, a, at least one mem Republican member of Congress. What do you expect Stuart Rhodes to add to this? And if he does it live, what do you think that means? You know, Joy, stick a fork in Stuart Rhodes. He's done and he is looking for a way out. But I can tell you the committee is not going to negotiate uh, uh, terms that are favorable to Stuart Rhodes to take his testimony live so that he can turn it into a circus. But I do think the negotiations will be ongoing because the strength of the evidence against Stuart Rhodes, it, it's overwhelming. So I think this is part of the negotiation dance that's being done. If he truly comes on board, if he accepts responsibility for his crimes, he pleads guilty as a cooperating witness, then I predict the Department of Justice will give him the opportunity to testify to the January 6th committee under that cooperation agreement. And that's the only way we can sort of guarantee that what we get out of a Stuart Rhodes is truthful reliable testimony. So, you know, this is all posturing by Rhodes and uh, and we'll see if he ends up ultimately pleading out and becoming a cooperating witness. Let me play you again what Cassie Hutchinson said. This was one of the probably the, 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 you said, I think that this was the most damning thing that you heard during her testimony. Let's play it again. This is Cassie Hutchinson. This is three for my producer. I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. 
let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here, let the people in, take the effing mags away. Glenn, what's the worst case scenario of what Stuart Rhodes could testify about his relationship to the White House, to the president uh, and what he and the Proud Boys did, what he and the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys did? You know, if the Department of Justice and, of course, the J6 committee is building a bridge between guys like Stuart Rhodes, maybe through the war room at the Willard Hotel and directly into the Oval Office. And we now know, courtesy of that brave 25 year old woman, Cassidy Hutchinson, that Donald Trump was informed that the crowd was armed with assault rifles, pistols and other weapons. And you would expect any reasonable person to say, I hope the the metal detectors are operating properly because I have a safety concern for everyone here. He said the exact opposite. Take the metal detectors down. Let them in because they're not here to hurt me. The inference I'm arguing to a jury, Joy, is that he knew they were here to hurt the people who were up the street certifying the win of his political opponent. So after you let them in with their assault rifles, we will all walk down to the Capitol, and we will stop the certification. He used the the word steal, which helps provide his criminal intent because he knew it wasn't a stolen election. So this could be dramatic and damaging testimony to Donald Trump. You know, Charlie, and we we live in a world where we just saw the political assassination in Japan and where we saw a potential political assassination of more one or more people, including Mike Pence and the Speaker of the House in our own country. What does it say that the Republican Party is directly associated getting bodyguard services from traveling around with inviting to the White House people who are essentially fascist militias um, that are a part and parcel of their effort when it comes to elections. Well, that's why next week's testimony is so crucial, because you're drawing this nexus between the attempt to steal the election and the potential of political violence, which has always been hanging out there. And and I, and I think it is legitimate to link what happened in Japan to what's happened in this country, because, you know, we have this rising tide of extremism and extremist rhetoric and violent rhetoric. And we have not had the kind of uh, political assassinations that we had back in the 1960s. But You know, what you saw on January 6th uh, over and over and over again um, was the evidence that people were prepared to do something like that. And I think that there's a reason why the January 6th committee has saved this for the the end of its investigation, because this was not just a a tourist visit to the Capitol. It was not just a political uh, effort to try to get Congress to exercise some oversight. There is this nexus between the Trump plot and these violent seditionists who were prepared to perhaps use weapons and to kill the vice president of the United States. And I think that this is an important point for people who think, well, there's a political, you know, look, you have these kerfuffles. And in the past, people have objected to the counting of electoral votes. Nothing like this has happened in American history. Certainly nothing like this has ever been done by an American president. And if they can connect the dots, it will be explosive. Absolutely. And let's not forget, as when it comes back to Pat Cipollone, he didn't say, Cassidy, make sure that Donald Trump doesn't do this. If the president does it, we'll destroy our democracy. He said we will be committing crimes. He was concerned about his own political, his own legal liability, not about the country. So let's not lionize him yet. Uh, Glenn Kirshner, Charlie Sykes, thank you both very much. Up next on the readout, President Biden announces what he can do to protect abortion access in America. More on that and what's happening on the ground in the states where women are fighting for their basic rights. And the readout continues after this. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. President Biden signed an executive order today to protect to protect reproductive rights in a post-Roe America. He delivered impassioned remarks condemning the Supreme Court and the extremist wing of the Republican Party. We cannot allow an out-of-control Supreme Court working in conjunction with extremist elements of the Republican Party to take away freedoms. Just last week, it was reported that a 10-year-old girl was a rape victim in Ohio. 10 years old, raped, six weeks pregnant, already traumatized, was forced to travel to another state. Imagine being that little girl. Just, I'm, I'm serious, just imagine being that little girl, 10 years old. Well, for God's sake, there's an election in November. Vote, 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 vote. Consider the challenge accepted, court. The order directs HHS to boost access to abortion pills and contraceptives and aims to protect the privacy of those seeking information on abortions, including online. The move comes as a growing number of states adopt laws to ban or restrict abortion care in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision, including Louisiana, where today, under a new court order, nearly all abortions are now illegal. Joining me now is Dr. Yashika Robinson, medical director of the Alabama Women's Center for Reproductive Alternatives, and who testified during a House Judiciary Committee hearing on abortion care access in May. And just to set the stage, at the risk of bringing back a bad memory, I want to, from your testimony, I want to play a moment that resonated a lot online. This is the questioning of you by Congressman Mike Johnson. If a child is halfway delivered out of the birth canal, is it permissible to have an abortion? Would you support the right for an abortion then? I can't even fathom that ever. And I'm not asking you if you can fathom it. If it occurred, would you support that abortion or not? That's unrestricted I can't abortion, right? That's a question that I can't imagine. I, just like you probably can't imagine what you would do if your daughter was raped. I feel like I played that for you, Dr. Um, Robinson, because I feel like the people who are making these laws don't understand anatomy, biology or sort of normal human life, because asking a question like that is so absurd that I can see why you're just you couldn't even figure out how to answer it. What do you make of the fact that, including in your state, mainly men are banning abortion when they genuinely don't seem to understand basic biology? 
Oh, you're muted. I completely agree with you. The people that are making these decisions, um, you know, they don't understand basic anatomy, healthcare, and what people really, what pregnant people really need. Um, but it also makes it very clear that they're not interested in learning because people like me are willing to, you know, make ourselves available and talk to them about the true life experiences of our patients so that they can understand. But it doesn't seem like that's important. I think what's more important is what, um, you know, gets their party out to vote and get them in. And so, you know, the facts don't really matter. I mean, just to clear for people who might send this video around to their, you know, grumpy, you know, ultra right Christian uncle, there is no such thing as aborting a child that has already been born. That is just not a thing that is real. No, but that's the thing that, um, I mean, that sounds appalling to me, but that's not real life. That's not abortion. You know, that's not what abortion care is. And so I think for people who don't understand, for people who've never, um, you know, who are not medical and people who've never had to make that decision. I think when you have politicians that paint pictures like that, it gets people on their side and it gets them votes. And I think that's the only thing that really matters. What was your response to the president's, um, you know, executive order today to try to protect people who try to just look online or try to search information about how to get abortions and protecting access to abortion pills? Do you think that will help women in your state in Alabama? Well, initially, when I saw it, I, I just made it in from the hospital about 15 minutes ago. Um, but when I saw it, I opened my um, my phone up and I saw it and I got really excited. But <laughs> I am not a lawyer, so I don't really I didn't understand what it meant. And so then as I talk to people to understand, you know, m my response is I'm 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 happy to see that there's some support there. However, it's not enough. It's too little, um, you know, to really help patients um, and to increase access to the care that we really need. And, I'm and glad I, and to know yeah, I'm glad to I'm know sorry. that there's um, efforts to protect access to medication abortion that doesn't help people in, in in states like Alabama where we can't, you know, we're not able to treat the patients at all. And we know in states like Mississippi and Louisiana and Alabama, basically all the abortion uh, clinics have closed. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to the other kinds of care that these kinds of facilities offer? For a lot of women, you know, Planned Parenthood or other clinics are actually their only health care, period. Mm hmm. Well, that means that all of those other essential services are going away in addition to the ability to take care of patients who you know, opt for care in these centers just because um, it may be more cost efficient for them. Um, it allows them access to care in, in a setting where they're not able to access it in the hospital. It gives them access to physicians who will give them the care that they need, even when their private physicians are unable or unwilling to care for them in very complicated situations. What's happening with your former patients in Alabama? What, what, what are they going to do now? Are they having, are people telling you they're going to need to leave the state? Like what's going to happen to these women? I mean, yes, we're hearing people that say that they really need to need, they will have to leave the state for care. But the thing that's most heartbreaking is the people who are not able to do that. And those are the people that I care for. Um, those are that's the majority of my patient population, people who do not have the means to travel. And those are the people that are going to be harmed the most. I also hear from physicians who don't understand what this means. I talked to a physician today and she says, well, so what does that mean? You can only go up to 15 weeks. I'm like, no, we can't care for any patients. 
they also, um, you know, it also came up um, in our surgery center. Someone said, well, you know, are we even able to do this DNC? In the end, the patient did get their DNC. But what that tells you is that physicians, very educated people, people who are capable of taking care of patients are second guessing, yeah. you know, proceeding with care that they know patients need. Yeah. And, and that's going to have deadly results uh, for a lot of women. Um, and in your state, just to be clear, there is no rape or incest exception. No, there's not. There is no exception at all. No, no mercy. No. Exception. no. Dr. Yashika Robinson, thank you for all that you do. Um, we really appreciate you. And still ahead, remember the Rick Wilson coin saying everything Trump touches dies? Well, now Trump is building a new Republican Party. How do you think that's going to hold up? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. As we get closer to the fall, we not only head into the midterm elections, but also football season. For more than 100 years, the NFL has given us the thrill of the game, though over the years it has had its share of competitors. You will be forgiven if you do not remember the United States Football League, the USFL. It lasted just three short seasons in the early 1980s and played during the spring. It was the league that brought together Donald Trump and the current Republican Senate nominee from Georgia, Herschel Walker. After reportedly being rejected from buying an NFL franchise, Trump settled for buying a USFL team instead, the New Jersey Generals. Trump was able to lure the young Heisman Trophy winner, Herschel Walker, away from the University of Georgia to start his professional career with the Generals. But like most of the things Trump touches, the USFL imploded after he led a failed effort to move the USFL season to the fall in direct competition with the NFL. Now, as a Trump-endorsed candidate for Senate, Walker is proving to be just as much of a disaster. Most recently, Walker lied to his own campaign about the multiple secret children he fathered, according to the Daily Beast. And Walker is not alone among the Trump-endorsed candidates who are earning penalty flags. You have Pennsylvania's Republican Senate nominee, Dr. Mehmet Oz, who just filmed a campaign ad from his mansion in New Jersey. And in actual Pennsylvania, you have Doug Mastriano, the Republican candidate for governor. You know, the same guy questioned by the FBI after photos emerged of him on the Capitol grounds on January 6th. He has been rebuked by multiple Republican leaders in his state who have endorsed his Democratic opponent, Josh Shapiro. Then there's Eric Greitens, a Republican Senate candidate in Missouri, best known for allegedly locking a woman with whom he'd had an affair in his basement and sexually assaulting her. Greitens denies that. 
He followed up his much-criticized ad calling for the hunting of so-called rhinos with a new ad still chock full of guns and explosions, saying he's coming, quote, with an army of patriots, hopefully not to any woman's basement. The list just goes on and on and on. The Tea Party candidates, they were bad. Many still continue to make a mockery of the House and Senate. But these MAGA contenders are the Tea Party on steroids. With these candidates, it's as if Trump has essentially launched his own Republican version of the USFL. And, well, we all know how that ended. Joining me now, Dana Milbank, columnist for The Washington Post, and Jiasi Ross, attorney and member of the Blackfeet Nation. Thank you both for being here, Dana. I'm going to start with you, your political columnist, Dana Milbank. There is just a plethora of weirdos that are running in this new sort of MAGA cycle. Um, how do you think Mitch McConnell feels about that? Because he's stuck with them. And if they win, they'll be with him in the Senate. You're, you're right. And, and a few of them, like Ron Johnson, are already there. And I think if you broaden the net a little bit, Joy, you could have a full squad. You have the offensive 11, defensive and even special teams uh, from all these uh, uh, lunatics that they've got in there now. Um, you know, it, it's sort of inevitable, I think, that this was going to happen. It, you, know, it'd be, you know, each wave uh, of crazy sort of builds on the uh, wave of crazy that preceded it. So uh, we had the revolution of 94. Uh, then we had the uh, Tea Party wave. Then we had uh, uh, Trump coming in. And now these are ultra MAGA that go, uh, in some cases, even beyond uh, what we'd known uh, that Trump could do. So certainly this is not what Mitch McConnell wanted. And he's pushed behind the scenes. But this isn't his party anymore. Uh, uh, and in these uh, Republican primaries, the extreme candidate wins in virtually uh, all cases, whether that's a, a Donald Trump endorsed candidate or whether that's somebody who's even outdoing uh, Donald Trump. So uh, it is uh, absolutely a full squad of crazy right now. You know, and the thing is, Jossie, I mean, the point of politics is to win elections, right? And the thing about Donald Trump is that the base adores him and worships him in some ways, but he's not got a, like a winning track record. And right now, the polling, at least as of now, is not looking good. Raphael Warnock polling is pulling well ahead of Herschel Walker. John Fetterman polling well ahead of Mehmet Oz. Josh Shapiro polling pretty close, uh, pretty close, but well ahead of uh, Doug Mastron. I mean, it's not as if these are this is a winning strategy, but the leadership of the party can't do anything about it because this is what the base wants. Yeah, they they they're they're stuck with what they created. Um, at one point, they decided that it was a good idea for whatever wisdom um, to let Donald Trump come in and have his way and to create the the, the optics of the of the Republican Party. And now they're stuck with it. Now they have a you know self-fulfilling prophecy that you know th there's going to be inevitable that these these folks are going to get crazier and crazier. And if Herschel Walker, who I did enjoy in the NFL, um, I'm, I'm a Seahawks fan, and and you know he played for the the accursed uh, Dallas Cowboys, but nonetheless <laughs> I enjoyed him still as a candidate. If he is the best you can do, Republican Party, Donald Trump. That's not to take really any part of some position just based upon what we don't know, based upon what's been coming out in very recent weeks, there's more bombshells waiting for Herschel Walker. And, and I think that's true of most of Donald Trump's anointed picks. You know, and Dana, I mean, the, the, this piece in the Daily Beast was something else. I mean, 
they talked about the fact that his own campaign essentially mocks him behind the scenes, doesn't trust him. They expect him to constantly lie. You have people like Jade Nordlinger, who's a senior editor um, at the National Review, coming out and sort of excoriating him, saying the Senate, you know, it, it matters. The Senate, I don't expect every senator to be Daniel Webster or Henry Clay or even Herbert Humphrey or Howard Baker, that there ought to be a minimum amount of respect for that body. But these are the same people, these conservatives, just like Mitch McConnell. They've been fine with Tommy Tuberville, who doesn't, I think, know what the civil rights uh, Act is. They've been fine with Marsha Blackburn. They've been fine with Rand Paul, who made up his own certification to be a doctor and yet still operates on humans. Like, they're fine with Ron Johnson, who had to pull an ad recently because he was going to try to mock the idea that there was gun violence. Then he had to pull it because there was an actual massacre. The Tea Party candidates aren't appreciably better, but they've been fine with adding those, so they can't really shut the door now, can they? No. And uh, Herschel Walker thinks there are 52 states. So uh, it is possible that those two imaginary states will have Democratic senators, thereby consigning the Republicans uh, perpetually uh, uh, to a minority. But, you know, talk about uh, staff saying they can't really trust their candidate to tell the truth. He lies all the time. Where did we hear this before? Uh, And of course, uh, that guy uh, had four years uh, in the White House. So the real danger, as we've discussed here, is not that they've nominated crazy people who will lose. But they, they nominated crazy people who could actually win uh, if you know everything falls uh, in the in the right way. So in some ways, Democrats have been encouraging uh, this for understandable reasons. They're easier to beat. But if that wave comes in a certain way, uh, you can have you know this can make uh, a Tommy Tuberville look like uh, Thomas Jefferson. Well, I mean, or if they understand that they fixed some of these states' voting rules to make it so impossible for people who don't want somebody like a Tommy Tuberville or a Herschel Walker to be in office that they can't vote anyway. Uh, Giazzi, let, let me go to you on this, because right now you've got good news for the president. This this job support is actually pretty good. 372,000 jobs created, 3.6 unemployment rate. Normally, in normal politics, this would be a you know banner-waving day for President Biden. But he has all these issues with the base of the party who don't look at the macroeconomic or even the micro economic numbers. They just feel crappy about the whole world right now and are taking it out on him. Um, Do you think the fact that he came out today and did an executive order on Roe that he's trying to be more proactive can help him to counteract the fact that the good news is genuinely good news, but it doesn't seem to be, you know, sort of reverberating in his favor poll wise? Yeah. So take a step back. I think it's really good that he takes an executive order on Roe. I think those sort of actions, whether it be on um, qualified immunity, stuff that 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 seems like it's responsive to the populace that put him in place, specifically um, women, specifically black women, specifically black people. It's important for him to do those things and look responsive. The the macroeconomics. Absolutely. Um, Those things are are things that are kind of insider baseball. And we expect people who, you know, whether it's on on Twitter, whether it's folks who are on the, um, you know, pundit pundit stage. Um, those folks understand that the vast majority of people do. We, we ultimately want headlines. We mm-hmm. want to see somebody that's responsive to us. And, and I believe that Biden, um, President Biden hasn't done a good job of heralding his successes. I think that he does have successes. I think that he has substantive successes that would, in fact, resonate very well if the messaging was right. And I just seen that there was another turnover with his messaging folks. Um, and, and, and that's something that I think the presidency has to get a hold of is understanding that there is a way to trumpet these victories that, in fact, the president does have. 
And I think he needs to not count on the media to do that for him, because the only story that the political media tends to like is Democrats in disarray. They're not ever going to be like, this Democratic president is doing great. That's just never going to happen. Uh, G- Dana and Giassi are going to stick around, because they're going to be playing Who Won the Week. You do not want to miss it. And I'm sure you will find that my pick is the cat's pajamas. That's a tease. But first, I recently spoke with Oscar-winning producer, director, actor, and activist Jesse Williams about his new project aimed at ending police brutality. That interview, when the readout continues. For most of us, especially those who haven't actually interacted with the police much, TV, movies, and news really shape our views on policing. In the early 1900s, for example, Hollywood painted cops as silly, incompetent in comedy skits like the Keystone Cops. It was then that the International Association of Chiefs of Police called Hollywood out for that behavior. And soon, cops became advisors to Hollywood producers helping them shape stories about police, usually putting themselves in a positive light. That was a clip from a new project focused on how police officers are shielded from accountability. As that video details, Americans have been exposed for decades to what they call copaganda, starting with the 1950s show Dragnet, where the LAPD had a say in the scripts to the endless number of police and law and order shows that we have today. Joining me now is Jesse Williams, actor, Oscar-winning producer and activist, and Judith Brown Deannis, executive director of the Advancement Project National Office. Thank you both for being here. Great to see both of you. Um, Judith, I'm going to start with you. The Advancement Project is putting putting out this video. Tell me why. Or this series, um, well, I should thank- say. Thanks, Joy, for having us. Um, you know, we wanted to do this. Jesse and I really created this because it's a love letter to Black people to explain how cops get off. We saw the videos, right? We saw Philando Castile. We know what happened to Breonna Taylor, and we know there was no accountability. So we wanted people to understand that it's the systems, that it's our culture that creates a place where there can be no accountability, where they get to evade accountability. And so this is really about teaching people. We call it kind of the schoolhouse rock of policing. Let me play another clip. Um, And this is going to be on the institutional protections that police officers enjoy. Take a look. Have you ever wondered how cops are so well protected when they break the law? I mean, cops have a special set of institutions that protect them from any liability for their actions. This includes the prosecutors, police unions, and the police force itself. It all starts with this thing called the blue wall of silence. It's a code of silence that cops live by. A no-snitching culture that protects them when they do something wrong or even illegal. Their rule is, see something, keep your mouth shut. And Jesse, you have an audience that ranges from TV to Broadway. I know you've been very politically active, um, but, you know, you have a very broad audience. But who is the audience in your mind for this series? Uh, well, thanks again for having us. It's, it's a kind of multi-pronged. As, as Judith said, part of this is to let folks know when this happens time and time again, this is not about you. It is not about your value. That is, do not let this, do not be discouraged that this is a reflection of your value, the life of your, you know, the value of your life. This is about a system that is in place. We want to raise everybody's understanding of what these words mean. When you hear DA, when you hear grand jury, what, is, what do those things mean? So kind of rising tide lifts all boats of understanding of what's happening in our system and also to uh, give a sense of history, some historical context in terms of 
Hollywood's role, all of this stuff is undergirds what we've become accustomed to. And the more you become accustomed to abuse, the more you tolerate it, the more you're likely it doesn't get or doesn't make your blood boil anymore. And that's exactly what the system wants. So it's, it's, a, it's overall educational for everybody. Um, but we, what we started to see was that folks were getting really discouraged and felt like this must mean we don't have worth and that that's not acceptable to us. You know, what's, what's interesting, Judith, um, you know, to that very point, we've seen, you know, police react in some very familiar and not in a good way, uh, ways to the, uh, protests that we've seen over the end of Roe versus Wade. And you sort of contrast that kind of policing, which I think you guys are talking about here, which is sort of unaccountable and sort of brutal to physically, you know, restrain the actions of citizens, right? And then you sort of look at the Uvalde situation where a lot of people thought, well, I thought that's what police did is rush into the line of fire. But the Supreme Court says they don't have to do that. Um, how do we get past this disconnect between what I would say mostly non-black people, non-people of color think police are supposed to do, what African-Americans, what black folks and brown folks and indigenous folks want police to do, and what legislatively they are required to do? The other thing we're doing, Joy, with the series, How Cops Get Off, is that we are sending people to a website, policefreecommunities.org, because we want people to start reimagining what public safety looks like. Uvalde was not public safety, right? And and all of these mass shootings are not public safety. And we have to be thinking about something different than always saying that the police are going to take care of us. We want people to start thinking about what are the root causes of violence? And let's start addressing those things instead of always saying, let's give more money to the police. The police are going to handle it. Uh, because too many of our communities know that that is not true. We do not trust the police. We are scared of the police. And we want people to live in a society where they can feel safe and they can be free at the same time. And so this is the opportunity to learn and think about what are the solutions that will really help our communities so that everyone feels safe. Jesse, I think for particularly, you know, Black Lives Matter was formed because people do fear um, the police and feel that police disproportionately brutalize people who are black and brown. Um, and yet what Democrats are doing is giving them more money. Um, the sort of line now is fund the police, give give more money, more training, more funding. And people are frustrated by that. What do you say to people who are frustrated by the fact that, you know, in their mind, the people they're electing are doing the opposite of what they're asking them to do? Continue to be frustrated and take them to account because this that's that political theater, that cliche kind of uh, boomeranging support our troops. It's all an extension of this just kind of sloganeering because it's, it's always been a great shield to hide behind more law enforcement, military. It sounds like you love America. It sounds like cowboys and horses. And it's, it's a fairy tale stuff. It has nothing to do with what's actually keeping people safe, allowing them to you know, protect themselves and their families. Um, so continue to keep to keep uh, our feet on the gas, as it were, to, to shine a light as to what, what, why this is really happening. I appreciate uh, both of you doing this uh, important work. Judith, uh, really quickly, where, would, where can people watch these, uh, this series? Sure. They can see them at policefreecommunities.org. And they're also on YouTube. They have their own page, uh, How Cops Get Off. Thank you. All right. Jesse Williams, uh, Judith Brown Deannis, great to see you both. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank you. Stay with us. See when the week is next. As excited as I am for the weekend, I am even more excited about my most favorite TV game. Oh, yes. Who won the week? Back with me, Dana Milbank and Giassi Ross. Dana Milbank, who won the week? 
Well, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, Republican of Arizona, had a rather extreme view of gun rights on the House floor this week. Let's watch her. I would do anything, anything to protect my five grandchildren, including, as a last resort, shooting them if I had to, to protect the lives of my grandchildren. What? Extraordinary granny get your gun moment. She did clarify that she does not intend to shoot her grandchildren. For that reason, <laughs> Debbie Lesko's grandchildren have won the week. Because <laughs> they're still here. And they survived no grandma. Needed. Wow. She's not going to get a lot of visits from her grandkids around the holidays. That's terrifying. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask Jossie Ross who, who won the week. <laughs> no guns involved. Uh, Marjan Bochamp, Marjan Bochamp, keep that name in mind, a young, beautiful, native and black young man from the Yakima Nation, signed his first NBA contract with the Milwaukee Bucks, NBA champion a year and a half ago. It's amazing. It's historic for Indian country. We don't have a lot of folks in the, in the uh, NBA. I'm sitting here at Buffalo Hyde Academy on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation in Browning, Montana, and all of those native kids also won the league. That is awesome. Have there, has there been an, an, an indigenous, a Native American NBA star? I'm trying to rack my brain. Has there ever been? Kyrie Irving. Ka oh, wait. Okay, we got to have a whole conversation. I did not know that. Okay, my mind is blown. Mind officially blown. My, we got to have that conversation on, on the side. Wow. Okay, well, I, my Who on the Week is, is going overseas. I'm traveling us over the pond. My Who on the Week is a cat. He's a cat. Not, not, a, not a guy like I'm saying. That cat won the week. I'm saying that cat won the week. This is Larry the cat. Larry the cat is the Downing Street cat. He lives at Downing Street. He greets presidents of the United States, except Donald Trump, who he did not care to greet. This is what he tweeted today about the end of Boris, um, Prime Minister Boris. He said, time to clarify a few things. I am not. Boris Johnson's cat, like all prime ministers, he only temporarily is the resident of Downing Street. I live here permanently. When he finally goes, I stay. Yes, it's all very embarrassing, but it will be over soon. That is why Larry the Cat won the week. Dana Milbank, Jossie Ross, thank you very much. And that's tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.